some reason she said, let's pray against the door or whatever's behind that door. I was like, all right. So we were praying and the door, it was, it was a double door. The door was like this. And all of a sudden we were praying, we're like, in the name of Jesus, we're speaking Jesus. And the door goes, doo -doo 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 -doo. I was like, yeah, I'm out. And I left. <laughs> Jeremy, can you give us your full name and what you do for a living? Yeah, my name is Jeremy Choi. What I do for a living, I am a cybersecurity compliance and policy analyst, I say. I guess I work for Booz Allen. Um, so I basically take care of their internal compliance and policies, make sure, make sure that they are in compliance with government regulations mm. and what they want so that they can continue to make money. How long have you been walking with Jesus? I accepted the Lord in 2008, fully surrendered, end of 2010, beginning of 2011. So I would say, I guess, fully in 10, 10 years? Yeah. 10 years. Uh, where are you from? Where are your parents from, exactly? South Korea. South Korea. Uh, do they have a religious background? So they go to church as well. Um, my father, I don't believe, is saved. He reads the Bible. He goes to church, but not for Jesus, right? Uh, my mom goes to church. She serves. She plays the piano. But I don't think she's fully saved either. Um, it's, it's a little weird because, you know, my dad talks about some weird things. And it's, it's a little weird. Um, do you want me to talk, to talk more about that weirdness? Sure. There's one time I walked into their room and uh, my dad was doing tarot cards. And I walked in. And I was watching them. I was like, what are y'all doing? This was like four months ago. <laughs> this was four months ago. And I was like, what are y'all doing? And then they looked up and was like, and my mom was like, oh yeah, my dad's just, uh, your dad's just doing tarot cards. And then my dad's sitting there looking at the cards. And it was like, oh, I can't get anything. It's because, you know, I carry Jesus. <laughs> I didn't say that, but I was just more in shock. I was like, this is what they're bringing into their home? Like, what, why are they doing this? So I was like, okay. I was like, don't do that. Close the door and just went back downstairs. So yeah, I don't think they're saved. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, where do you think that influence is coming from? Um, it really comes from the roots, like the traditional roots of like uh, Korean Confucianism, I think. Uh, my dad's really into like meditation and he talks about, he, <laughs> dude, he talked about like, levitating during meditation once and like seeing aliens it, it's just weird like the stuff that he talks about but um i think i think it's deeply rooted in korean confucianism wow yeah were you brought up in that as well i wasn't fully aware of anything that was going on until of course like when i was old enough right but when I was in third, fourth grade, I think my mom was trying to find a church to go to because my grandmother is a Christian. She's a, she's a prayer warrior, right? Mm. So I think my mom was just trying to find her own path. And she took us to a Jehovah's Witness church. So we were, I was a Jehovah's Witness since uh, from third grade to about fifth grade. But then my mom finally made a decision to stop going to that church and pulled us into a Methodist church where my brother and I kind of grew up in, right? That's where a lot of my friends are um, still to this day. Like we, we build that relationship from that church. 
But I remember my brother was on the path of becoming a pastor, and I was still kind of like, I don't know about church. I don't know about this and kind of doing my own thing. And my mom was like, hey, Jeremy, do you want to go see my dad's friend? She's a tarot card reader. And I was like, thinking about it, and I was like, you know what? Sure, let's go. So I remember going to a hotel, and um, I met her there. And it was really weird because she had a table set up and the tarot cards. She had a cassette tape recorder and she was recording the entire session. She kind of talked to me about like what I wanted to do. And I believe, I actually believe that that put a curse on my life. But why do you say that? Because, <laughs> because, um, I told, she asked me what I wanted to do, and I said, I want to, I want to be in the financial industry. I want to trade stocks, and you know, um, I want to build wealth that way. And she said, I heard in the spirit laughter because in your previous life, you killed yourself during the Great Depression, and you lost everything um, in 1929. And she was like, I don't think that's the path for you. And I was sitting there and I was like, I was like, uh, okay, maybe I should choose a different path. But ever since then, it was really hard for me financially, right? Um, I remember this one time, um, I lost about $20,000 in like a month, month and a half in the stock market. And I was kind of like, thinking back to that time and I was like, oh my gosh, maybe I put a curse on my life or maybe she put a curse on my life or whatever. Um, and I was kind of meditating into the Lord through prayer and just asking him to like give me wisdom and just, you know, setting me free from anything that, um, that I haven't dealt with in the past because I completely forgot about that moment, right? When I, when I, was start, when I started to trade, mm. um, buy and sell stocks and like invest, um, I completely forgot. And when I lost the, all that money, the Lord brought me back to that place. And remember that time? Mm. Remember that time when she said all that? I was like, oh my gosh, that's right. So I kind of prayed through it. But yeah, that's um, kind of my journey. Yeah, that's in, that's intense. Yeah, it, And it's interesting how it's coming back where it's still a part of your your family. Yeah. Man, can you talk to yeah. uh, talk to me a little bit more about your upbringing and, and some of the shenanigans you got into? Obviously, I know you, and so, you know, I, I know a little bit more of your story, but for the people yes. that don't know, can you tell them about your history with drugs and, and your life before Jesus in general? Yeah, so my BC days. Um, I think everything started going downhill my second semester senior year when I was about to go into college. My friend brought a black and mild to church. He's like, hey, you wanna smoke this? I'm like, sure. So we went, drove around, smoked the black and mild. A week or two later, he's like, hey, you wanna smoke weed? I'm like, sure. <laughs> he tried weed for the first time. Um, and then that led into experimenting with ecstasy. So when I started experimenting with ecstasy, Actually, that, that, that same friend told me that um, I sh probably should have died twice while I was on it because it was a, it was a, bad, it was a bad pill. It was laced with something else. But he said, he said at, in, in two different instances, I was, I was on ecstasy and I had a seizure and they were contemplating whether or not to take me to the hospital. 
And they decided not to because they were scared. They were scared that they would get in trouble. So they just kind of let me, let me there. Um, I, I, I probably should have died, but um, the Lord definitely spared me from that. Um, I don't remember that, of course. Like, I was completely gone. But when I was dabbling in, in drugs, a, a, an opportunity came to me where a friend knew a chemist and was like, hey, um, I know this guy that can make a pure form of MDMA. And MDMA is the main chemical that's in ecstasy that raises the serotonin levels in your brain that, that gives you that high. And the main difference between a pure form of MDMA is that the pills that, that I was taking, that was la- it was laced with different drugs like PCP, speed, all these, all the, all, all these other things. And this probably where I, this probably why I almost died twice. But I was really interested in this pure form. I didn't want, I mean, it was so weird. I was, I was thinking about my health. It's like, yeah, if I take this pure form of NDMA, it's a cleaner drug. Yeah. It's going to be better for me. It was, it was twisted. But he gave this opportunity to me to test the market. So he brought this bucket of powder. I remember it was, it was, it was, it was like a creamy, it was like a, like a white, off-white creamy powder texture. Very bitter. Um, and we started putting it into these empty capsules. There was, um, we called it a single stack, double stack, and triple stack. And it all related to the amount of milligrams each capsule held, right? So we started off with this with the single stack, and those were just like the the, the, the small uh, medicine pills that you find. Um, and we started selling it at fifteen dollars to to people, and saying, "Hey, um, for fifteen dollars, you can get this pure form of MDMA. Let me know how it is. Oh, by the way, here's an extra one just for trying it out." And they would take it. Um, and they would come back and say, that was the best high that I've ever had. Um, that was the best, that was the cleanest, um, the cleanest roll. They call it roll, rolling, right? That was the cleanest roll I've had, um, ever. And I thought to myself, hey, this is good stuff. Like we need to capitalize on this. We got more, started selling it in different packs, different varieties of, um, I guess, I guess pill sizes and, you, and you know, the, the prices differed accordingly. And there was a time when, when my friend was distributing at a club. And at that club, he was approached by this female. Actually, that female came to me first. And I was high off, I, I, I was high off the walls and I couldn't even talk. I remember, but, but I remember her coming up to me and say, hey, do you have any ecstasy? And I said, no, ask that guy. Um, actually, I don't. I, I think I just pointed to him, and then because he was he was in arms, he was in arms length. I just him, 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 him. So she went. They exchanged numbers or something. A couple months passed by. He receives a call for a bulk order of forty pills. Um, he went while we were playing poker, and when he went, he was gone for a few hours. I think I think five hours passed by, and we were still playing poker. And he came back, and we were like, "Yo, what?" What happened? And he was like, "Oh, nothing, nothing. Everything's okay." I was like, "Did you sell the pills? Did you do you have the money?" He's like, "Yeah, yeah, I got the money. Don't worry about it." Like, All right, he just kept playing poker. Another couple of months go by, and he's still, you know, he's still ordering from from my friend, getting more pills from my friend, distributing it. And we didn't know at that time, but what he was doing was he was collecting evidence from for the police officers to 
get a stronger case against my friend. So when that happened, um, when finally the D-Day came, the SWAT team came, kicked down the doors, and completely ransacked his home um, to look for more evidence of pills and everything. He ended up going to jail. My friend ran to Korea, um, and he joined the military there. Um, but yeah, I mean, that life came with a lot of uh, scary moments. I mean, I remember this one time we had another drug deal that went bad um, over at Trevilla Square. Trevilla Square, that's where we uh, were doing the drug deal. And at that time, I was kind of like, you know, I don't want to do any more drug deals just because of what happened to my friend. But, my, but uh, one of my buddies was like, hey, this is the last one. Last one, and you don't have to come with me anymore. I'm like, all right, cool. The last one, don't ask me anymore. We ended up getting robbed. And the thing was is that the guy that was buying the drugs off of my buddy went to high school with us. But the people that he brought, we had no idea who they were. And apparently, the buddy that went to school with us was held up at gunpoint to rob us. So we didn't know, know that at that time. But what ended up happening was they took the drugs, didn't give us the money, and they drove off. There were two cars. One car was full of girls. One car was my high school buddy and then the four people in the back. That car drove off first down Travilla Road. And then we and then and then the car full of girls followed. We ran into our cars and followed them. And we were literally in a car chase to get our money back or to get the drugs back. I remember the first car drove straight. The second car drove into a neighborhood. I mean, I know this, I know this area very well. And I was like, Hey, follow the second car because they're going into a court. They, they're trapped basically. Followed that car in and they realized that they were in a cul-de-sac. We trapped them in and it was a car full of girls. My buddy took out a bat from the, from the trunk, um, bashed their car in, stole their purses to see if there was any money. And then as we were driving out, the second car came the second car was waiting for us. But as we were driving out, I looked and that guy had the trunk open and was pulling out a rifle. And I was like, yo, we gotta go, we gotta go. And he just dipped and we didn't, we stopped the chase there. I don't, I don't think we went back to Tripola Square. We went back somewhere far because we didn't wanna be, uh, I mean, we didn't wanna die, <laughs> basically. So um, yeah, that, that, was, that was a crazy night. That was a crazy night. But I think one of the first few drug deals um, that we had with Ecstasy was in this parking lot, this church parking lot, before I knew this was a church. Uh, I had no idea this was a church. I just knew it was a dark parking lot that nobody goes to. Um, did, um, did a lot of drug transactions here um, and did a lot of drugs here also. What was the, the, the age period for this when all of this? I know you said you were a senior, but how long did it last? So that was 2003 till 2005 that was only a two-year period but it felt like wow. it was so long um so in that two-year period i was 17 to 19 mm. yeah I was so, 17 to so, 19. so what shifted what happened um that caused you to to surrender your life or have an encounter with the lord can you just kind of take us through that process yeah, so fast forward to 2008, um, I was still living a life, life of sin, basically. Um, instead of 
going to drugs now because I, I was completely scared out of my mind because we almost died. But it, it, it went to alcohol. So I was spending all my money on alcohol, going to clubs, um, getting drunk. And it came to a point where I, had, I actually had a good job at that time. But because my focus was so off, all I wanted to do was get drunk and party. I actually, I actually lost that job. And I, I basically like hit rock bottom. Like I had no more savings. And then in 2008, my brother asked me to come to church with him one day. And it's funny because during this whole time of my downward spiral, he kept on asking me to come back to church. And I was like, hey, Jeremy, I'm going to be a pastor. And I looked at him and I was like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. I'm so glad the Lord, you know, shielded him. But because he's a pastor now. So, um, was, but, he, was he ever a part of what you were getting into? or Yeah, for a little bit. Um, not drug dealing, but consuming. Hmm. Um, and that's something that he can probably share. But um, yeah, I was messed up. I sold drugs to him and his friends. Wow. But he's the one that invited me to church that made me have that, not made me have that, but it's where I had my first encounter with, with the Lord. Because before, I thought God was just a, a thing that we pray to, a thing that we worship, right? But after that encounter, I actually knew it was a living, breathing God, right? That actually loves, that um, actually pursues because other before then, like it was completely like just like oh yeah, God is this, God is that, God loves you, but it was just very surface level, right? Yeah, very surface level. So what happened? Hit rock bottom. Went to the church conference. My brother was leading worship, and and I remember the, the the pastor made an altar call, and he had everybody stand up, and the first person went. And so open your hands. He opened his hands. And the pastor came and just walked towards him, praying in tongues. And he kind of just like stumbled back. I was like, yeah, that's so fake. Like, that's not real. Like, why is he doing that? Like, well, why is he putting on this show? Like, both parties, like the pastor and the guy, they probably like scheduled something to, you know, get people to get excited. But um, his prayer ended and I felt a nudge to go up. Like literally, I, f I felt the nudge to go up and I didn't even want to go, but I just kind of followed. And I went up there. The pastor looked at me and said, open your hands so you, you can receive. So I opened, opened my hands like this. And I had my eyes closed at first and then I opened my eyes and I see him staring straight at me. And he starts walking towards me, praying in tongues. And then he begins to lift his hands and not even touching my hands, he, um, my head. He just kind of hovers it over my head. And then I remember just getting laid out. I'm like, boom, getting laid out. People caught me. And I remember kicking and screaming and wailing. I was like, no, 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 no. And then I heard the Lord say, Jeremy, I love you. And then I just peacefully just laid there. And I, I knew it was the Lord because in the Korean culture, you, you know, my father is a great person, but he never told me verbally those three simple words. I love you. You know, like if I even think about it now, I don't think, I can't remember the last time he verbally told me I love you. I think it was actually through text where he said, I love you. So the audible voice of saying, I love you, I've never heard from a father figure. 
until that moment when the Lord encountered me, when I was completely laid out, when I had nothing. I was completely broken. And I laid there, I don't even know for how long, but I remember being at peace, like all of my burdens just being lifted and all of my like dark thoughts, like it was gone. Like I remember getting up and thinking like, it's, it's so cliche, but like I remember getting up and everything was brighter, right? Everything looked better. Like the, like the birds were chirping, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like that, that's, it's basically, it was like that. It was like, it was like me strolling in the fields and butterflies were flying and the flowers were blooming. And it was like that for a while. It was like that for a while. But after that happened, it came with a lot of different attacks, right? Because I experienced the, the true form of the Lord. And then I, re, and then I experienced the demonic where the, where the devil was trying to pull me back, right? And that's why I was one foot in and one foot out for many years because I was struggling, I was what, struggling. What was he doing to, what was the devil doing to pull you back? The two things that I remember them, uh, actually the three. One was a dream I had. I remember one night I was taking off my socks and I looked at my dresser. The dresser was just like wood grains, right? It's just simple wood grains. It was brown, dark brown. I remember taking off my socks, sitting on my bed, taking off my socks. I looked over and I saw the face of the devil like form from the wood grain. And I looked at it and I was like, are you serious? Like, and, and remind me, I, not remind me, but remind you that this, this I, I'm very new to all of this. Like this is maybe like my first month into like accepting the Lord and being exposed to like, the spiritual world, right? I looked at the face and I was like, are you serious? Like, is this, is this real life? Like, and I looked away and I looked back and it was gone. And this isn't a dream? No, no, this is, this is real life. Oh, this is, this is real life. Wow. The dream happened that night after. So, you know, I brush my teeth, whatever, go to bed. And in my dream, in my dream, I, I'm, I walk to the bathroom, turn on the bathroom light, I'm, I'm, I'm face to face with the mirror, right? I'm looking at myself, like almost like I'm analyzing like my life, like everything that I've done before. And then I look down and I look up and my reflection didn't move. So I look down and I look back up, but my reflection was still like this. And I was looking at my reflection going like this. And I was like, what the heck? And I was kind of like trying to get my reflection to follow me because that's, that's what reflections do. <laughs> and the reflection kind of looked back at me quick and eyes were dark and it was the demonic like, kind of jumped out at me and I woke up and I was like frozen and I was like, wow, this is ridiculous. And I was kind of sharing that with my brother and he's like, yeah, yeah, you're getting spiritually attacked right now. Um, the devil's trying really hard to bring you back in to the, dar um, to the darkness that you were in before because he knows that you're you're headed towards the Lord. Another time was when, um, when we were at a kid's, a kid's uh, conference. Like it was literally middle school, middle school, high school kids. And we were at a, at a church in D.C. They were spending the night there. Um, and my brother said, hey, why don't you come by and just like help out? I was like, sure, yeah, I'll help out. And he was like, just letting you know there's, like some weird stuff is happening. 
And I was like, okay, yeah, yeah. Um, I didn't know what to expect, but as soon as worship started, like the kids started just like walking around. It was, it was really weird. And I saw a few kids like walk to like a door to the staircase. They're like, no, no I, I need to go there. I need to go there. I'm like, no, no, no come here, come here. Let's, let's walk back. They, they were completely out of it. Like one, one kid would, would be walking out to the hallway. Another kid would be walking towards his door and it was attracted to that door. So the pastor and I, we were praying. For some reason, she said, let's pray against the door or whatever's behind that door. And I was like, all right. So we were praying and the door, it was, it was a double door. The door was like this. And all of a sudden we were praying, we're like, in the name of Jesus, we're speaking Jesus. And the door goes, doo, 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 doo. I was like, yeah, I'm out. And I left. <laughs> and um, that was the beginning of the spiritual battle that, that, I, that like, I kind of understood the spiritual world and the physical world. And it was nuts. So how were you able to combat those attacks? How, how did you overcome that? So the church that my brother was at, right, um, it's, it's basically the church that we grew up in. It was a Methodist church. They didn't want to talk about it. They didn't want to address it, right, all the, all the spiritual activity. So from then, I wanted the truth, right? I heard it from, from people, and I wanted the truth, so I just dug into the, the Bible. Um, I read the Bible. I studied it. Um, I read the same passage many times. Um, you know, I would just go to, like, different um, public areas and just read the Bible. And, like, a lot of um, the people that I used to do drugs with would come by and be like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm reading the Bible. You, you, you want to join me? They're like... No, I'm good. They just walk away. But um, yeah, the Bible was was the foundation for, for for the growth for me, right? It was the Bible, and then it was the community that um, also dug deep into the Bible for the truth. And we were able to share the word, share the life of Christ, and we were able to um, kind of do community that way. And that's the thing that actually kept me going um, because if I didn't have that, I probably would have gone into like new age, right? All that new age stuff um, and just be like very spiritual and just dig deeper into the spiritual side. Because, I mean, e- even even like the prophetic, right? The, the prophetic um, was very interesting to me because when I learned about what the prophetic was and I was like, oh my gosh, like even as a child, I felt like I I had that gifting because there there were two instances. There were two instances when my when my parents when I was when I would go to sleep but my parents would call I would pick up and back that time at that time it was it wasn't cell phones it was it was a you know the wire so I go like this it's not like this it was I picked up the phone and be like hey we're gonna be late we're we're buying a car so um just go to sleep first I'm like okay yeah I'm already sleeping hang up the phone go back to bed and then in my head I'm like yeah I bet you anything it's that really ugly Land Rover that looks like a refrigerator that has a tire in the back. I fell asleep. I wake up. And my mom was like, yeah, the new car's in the driveway. I go down, and it's, it's that car. <laughs> it's that car. And then there's another time. It was it, it, the same thing, a car. My, my dad was like, yeah, yeah, we're going to go buy a new car. Um, we'll be back. 
went to sleep, and I was like, I bet you anything, if he buys a Mercedes, it's going to be one of those ugly, boxy Mercedes S420s. I don't even know how I knew what that was at that time, but I had the picture of exactly the shape, the Mercedes-Benz logo, and then the S. I didn't know the number, but I knew that it wasn't going to be a 500, because 500 was the top of the line. I don't know why I knew that as a kid, right? But I remember going to sleep, woke up the next morning, I looked in the garage, and there it was, the same exact car that I, that, that I, that I um, had in my, in my head. So then, now, now, I, now I know about the prophetic. I'm like thinking, okay, so like the prophetic can be different images. It can, it can come off as like words, words of knowledge, right? It can, um, you can do foretelling, right? You can foretell what the Lord may do in someone's life, or, or you can bring back something that the Lord had somebody experience, right? So it was, it was all of that stuff. And even now, like, um, the prophetic is very, uh, is very active in my life. Like when I lead worship, I don't know if you noticed this, but if I'm leading worship, right, and my eyes aren't closed and I'm looking around, it means that there's, there's spiritual warfare going on hmm. and I'm praying while, while I'm worshiping. Um, if I'm completely in the music, then I know that there's vertical worship and the presence of the God, uh, pre- presence of the Lord is here. Wow. And we're, we're in his presence, right? Everybody's, everybody's hearts are knitted together and we're in the presence of God. Mm. So, um, Can you briefly, yeah. briefly talk about the Lord leading you into worship? You haven't talked about it yet, right? Because you're, obviously you're, part of your calling right now is yeah. to be a worship leader. So very briefly, how, how did that happen? Yeah, so in 2011, when I completely surrendered, I surrendered at the, end of, the tail end of 2010, 2011, I started going to that church behind Wooten. At that time, they were looking for a youth worship leader. And I was going there for about six months. And then a year passed by. So this is now 2012. And the youth pastor there, who is also one of my really good friends now, but the youth pastor there was like, hey, Jeremy, um, why don't you lead uh, worship for the youth? I'm like, no, I'm good. And then he was like, okay, well, pray about it. And then let me know. I was like, yeah, I'll pray about it. But in my head, like, I already knew that I wasn't going to do it. So I didn't pray about it. He asked me a second time. And I was like, hey, um, have you prayed about it? I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't think I'm going to do it. He was like, can you pray about it again? Uh, let's, you know, I, I really think that you should lead worship for the youth. I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah, fine. I'll pray about it. And this time I kind of asked God, and I was like, hey, um, this guy came up to me twice now. Like, is this something that you really want me to do? Um, I don't remember if I audibly heard a yes or not, but I went back to him and I said no. He asked me a third time, and this is when I seriously prayed to God, and I said, hey, God, like, this is the third time that this guy is asking me to lead worship for the youth group. I've, I've already turned him down three times. Like, if this is really you, then then you're going to have to, like, help me out because I can't sing and play the guitar at the same time. Like, there's no way I can do that. And if I can't do that at home, like, I'm not going to be doing that in front of, you know, 50 kids. Like, I'm not going to do that. The following week, he asked me, he was like, hey, do you want to lead worship for, for the youth? And I just said yes <laughs> without even, like, um, like, thinking about it. And then after I said yes, I was like, oh, my gosh, what did I do? 
what did I do? Like, I, I can't, I can't play and sing at the same time. I'm gonna have to go, um, go practice. So I pick up a guitar that was gifted to me by my brother when I accepted the Lord back in 2008. And picked up the guitar. I only know, I only knew four chords: G, D, E minor, C. I didn't know what the fretboard did, right? The good thing was was that all of Chris Tomlin's songs were G, D, E minor, C, right? <laughs> it, was a, it was a variation of G, D, E minor, C. So I would play G, D, E minor, C. I was like, okay, and I would start singing. And all of a sudden, I was able to sing and play at the same time, strum and play at the same time. I was like, oh, this is crazy. I was like, okay, well, this, this sounds a little low. How do I make it higher? And then um, I realized that if you go up higher on this fretboard, the, the tone gets higher. So I, put the, I picked up a capo and I put it on one of the frets. I was like, oh yeah, it makes sense. So the higher you go, you know, the, the, the higher the chord progression gets. So that's how I learned how to play the guitar and, and lead. And then that's when I started leading worship. And I remember when I started leading worship, I promised God, I will not use my voice to sing for anybody else except for you. Oh. And that's because in ninth grade, um, I had, I actually, no, no, not in ninth grade. In 11th grade, I had the opportunity to go to Korea, to train, to be like a, like a singer, right, in Korea. I mean, everybody knows it as K-pop, right? So um, back in 2002, it's when like K-pop was like starting to like really pick up traction in Korea, right? right? And I had the opportunity to go and kind of you know get trained, and I don't know, I, I don't know if I would have ever made it to like the big stage or whatever. Because a lot of um, trainees they go through many years of training and they never make it. But that's kind of the path that I could have chosen. Wow. So remembering that. I said, God, I will never sing for anybody else except for you. Um, and that's a promise that I've made. And then even at m my wedding, June 20th, 2015, that was the first time I sang to my wife. Hmm. But it was in worship to God. Right? So, wow. yeah. Oh, interesting uh, memories. <laughs> it's Jeremy, kind of pulled out. Looking, looking back at your, at your life, um, what can you say Jesus has done in your life? I mean, in my BC days, my life was going at a downward spiral, right? If I continued the path of intaking the drugs, I probably would have been dead. If I continued the path of selling drugs, I would have been in jail. Um, if I continued the path of getting drunk every night, I probably would be dead also because I remember driving, it was so dumb, but I remember driving home drunk many times and I almost died a couple of those times that I remember, that I remember, right? Mm. So when the Lord met me in 2008, since then, I had sobered up, stopped doing drugs, stopped drinking, like abusing alcohol. I mean, I'll have a beer here and there, you know. Um, Stop smoking cigarettes. Actually, I'm almost 10 years from quitting cigarettes entirely. Wow. 10 years, yeah. I have a wonderful job right now that really cares about my, my family life. Um, I have a beautiful wife. I have two beautiful children that 
I could have never imagined um, being a father to, right? I think the main thing is that I'm full of joy now instead of darkness and hatred where I can actually love on people. Um, before I was all about myself, I was all about what I can gain, what I can take from people, right? Uh, what that person can do for me. But now it's more of what can I give to people? What can I do for people? And what can I give to those people? For anybody that's, that's, that's watching your testimony right now, uh, what can you say to that person that's watching right now? If you're a believer and you're struggling, don't lose hope. Um, there are times when, when I almost lost hope um, as a believer, but, the, but God is good. Um, God is always good. And He always has something that's laid out for you. And everything that you go through is for a purpose, right? Even, even me going through the dark times as a believer, it, it set me up for where I am now, right? Um, if you look at stories of Moses, if you look, look at stories of Joseph, um, even Jesus, um, they were being prepared many years before they actually started walking in their calling, right? Whether um, it's leading a ministry or setting people free or leading a, leading a nation, there was always many years of preparation. King David, King David was... He he was tried. He was uh, he was being chased after by the by the current king Saul. Yeah, he he almost died many times in preparation for, in preparation to being a king. After Sam, Samuel anointed him, what what was that? Like seven, span seventeen years? I don't even know if it was seventeen years. I, I don't know why that number came up. It was a long time. It was a long that time. Much. Yeah, but yeah, just don't lose hope. Um, the Lord has a plan, and the reason why, um, you are where you are is for for His glory. It's for His glory. If you are a non-believer, I encourage you to give it a try. What other people portrays Jesus to be that you see on social media or um, even out in the streets in New York, don't let that decision or that picture be the decision that you turn away from God because that isn't Jesus. Jesus is definitely a king who loves fiercely after your heart and he will continue to pursue you. And I know that there have been many tugs in your heart to maybe even give church a try or to even open up your mind to hearing about Jesus and just give it a try um, and let Jesus change your life.